Hi, I'm Frank Ferris, one of the principals of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. I want to personally thank you for joining us for this module in our series on effective teaching strategies. All right, so we're going to go ahead and get started this morning. It's great to be with you again. I'm Jen Middleton with Family Medicine. This morning we're going to talk about phenomenal presentations. We're going to do part two, which is your physical presence. So if you'll think back to a couple of weeks ago when we talked a little bit about presentations, content and slide design, we started by talking about what makes a presentation good or bad. So start to bring that back into your mind again. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about how body language influences audiences. We're going to use power poses. Anybody know Amy Cuddy's TED Talk on uh, power poses? Oh, cool. All right. And you're going to design an action plan for presenting. So a lot of the things that we think about when we think about engaging, enjoyable presenters to watch, a lot of folks might assume that those are things that are just natural or innate. Either you are or you aren't. And I want to blow that up this morning. Those are skills, just like the skills that we talked about the last time in terms of being deliberate with your slide design and how you put your presentation together that you can use to be engaging and to connect well with your audience. So we're just flashing back what makes a presentation good or bad. And one of the things I want you to kind of get in your mind right now, if you can think about, don't share, who the best presenter is you think you've ever seen? Is there a teacher or somebody who pops to the front of your head that was like, man, that, that instructor, I was just spellbound watching them. It might have been elementary school, college, wherever. And then can you think of the worst presenter you've ever seen? Again, in terms of personality and interacting with the audience. Just keep those two individuals in your mind as we go forward, okay? Everybody got somebody? All right. Want to refresh your memory on this from last time. Remember 30 seconds? What's 30 seconds from the start of your talk? What happens in that first 30 seconds? So your audience makes up your mind about who you are as a person in the first 30 seconds of your presentation. Remember the 10 minute rule. You have about 10 minutes of talking to your audience before you will lose their attention if you do not engage them actively. And remember why that is, because everybody's got one of these in their pockets, and yeah, they're not doing that, right? Okay? So that's why we're doing this. It's our job to keep our audience's attention as presenters. Last time we talked about keeping our content focused and having our slides support our message, and this morning we're going to talk about that last piece that we only hinted at last time, which is how do you make your physical presence accessible to your audience? What does that mean? What does that look like? So let's start by talking a little bit about posture, gestures, and voice. All right. Is this anybody in the audience? You don't have to be brave and say so out loud. But is anybody just really horrified, terrified of public speaking? Oh, we are. We've got somebody who's going to just bring it out there. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. This is normal, I just want to say. All right? This is normal. There are very few folks who do not stand in front of an audience and have at least a little bit of jitter. Okay? So I just want to validate that right away. 
But this is why this is so important, what we're going to do today. This is, goes into that 30 seconds when your audience makes up your mind about you. You haven't had the chance to say a whole lot in 30 seconds, and this is why. Because what your audience takes away communication-wise from you, in terms of the words out of your mouth, is only about 7% of the whole message that they get. All right, so voice, modulation, pauses in terms of communication is a huge of what gets communicated, and body movements, face arms or even more in terms of how your message is communicated. So yes, we want you to have awesome content, but guess what? If the rest of this isn't happening, think back to that not so great presenter who's in your mind, the message is not gonna come through. So that's why this is so important. So let's take a look at this presenter. How does she make you feel? Lectured to. Ooh, lectured to. Anybody else? <coughs> Elementary school. Hmm. Anybody else? Any evoked feelings? So let's look at her body language. Her body language is sending messages. We can't hear her say anything at all. So that right heart half of the pie chart, we're not even paying attention to. We're not hearing content. We're not even hearing voice tone. We're just looking at her body language. So let's look at her body language. So she's not making great eye contact, right? She's kind of doing this looking down and up, so she's not directly making eye contact. She's got this head tilted to the side, which is a way to guard your neck. So mammals, when they feel vulnerable, and we're all mammals, so we do this too. We kind of do this hunching in a little bit to feel safe, and that's kind of what she's doing. She's not smiling. She doesn't look like she's having a good time. She's doing that hunching. And she's got this object that's kind of blocking her from her audience a little bit. There are worse examples than just a binder, and one is a podium. So I gave a presentation across town last week where there was this gigantic podium that they had all this beautiful tech equipment set up for and everything, and, and I asked them to push it off to the side because I didn't want to stand behind that giant podium. It's hard to connect with somebody if all you're seeing is their decapitated shoulders and head, okay? And she's not standing up straight, so she's kind of doing this, I'm a scared mammal, hunching in, all right? Who's this guy? This guy? What do you, what's the difference between Steve and that other chick? So more movement, posture, I heard something else? Open, yeah, so this is open body language. Steve was a master at this. He is making eye contact. It's committed. He's doing these gestures. He's got his body open. You don't have to be crazy about it, but he's open to his audience. He's standing up straight. You never saw Steve Jobs slouching when he was walking in front of the stage, right? And he's doing this thing called smiling with your eyes. So he's not smiling as he's speaking, but he's kind of got this energy in his eyes that he's managing to transmit to the audience. I guarantee you this did not happen by accident, all right? This is a guy who was known for being so type A OCD about everything that he did. I guarantee, having watched him present, and if you haven't, go to YouTube and look for some of his Apple presentations. He's a great one to watch. This, this was deliberate on his part to help sell his message, and it worked, right? It worked. So your body language communicates powerful messages to your audience. So don't just 
stand up there and do your thing. Be intentional and deliberate about what that message is. Just like we talked about making your slides and your content intentional and deliberate, the same is true of you when you're standing in front of the audience. Open body language connects you to your audience. Closed body language shuts them off. So how do you do some of these open body language things if they feel a little uncomfortable or foreign or you haven't been on stage a gajillion times like I have and it feels weird? Eye contact, a nice tip for making that eye contact. So what you don't want to do is make eye contact with one person in the audience and bore into their skull. They get a little uncomfortable, okay? So you don't want to do that. But here's what you can do. Think about looking at the last row in your audience or a really nice trick is to bounce your gaze around at foreheads. So if you're looking at foreheads, you're not peering into somebody's soul and making them uncomfortable, but you're giving the appearance that you're looking and connecting with them in a way that is a little less off-putting, all right? So yeah, you can be closed, but you can also be too aggressive. You don't want to swing to that side. So last row or foreheads, and kind of trying to bounce your gaze around is ideal. So Tyra Banks is famous for saying this, if any of you have ever followed her about this idea of smiling with your eyes um, and not just with your mouth. And the way that you do that is you kind of lift. So if you spend some time in your mirror and pay attention to kind of lifting your eyebrows, lifting the top half. Is anybody in here a vocalist or ever done any singing lessons? So when vocalists train, uh, you learn to kind of keep the top half of your face kind of up in the bottom half so that you can sing more relaxed. So spending time in a mirror, watching yourself speak, thinking about keeping this part elevated and letting this part be relaxed. It takes practice. You want to keep your chest and your shoulders open. And for a lot of us, especially in modern life, we spend a lot of time doing this. So it takes a little bit of being deliberate thinking to open back up again a little bit. You may have observed me as I've set up here before presenting for you the last few times, kind of doing a little bit of this. That's why. All right. So I'm just trying to get loosened up, make sure that I'm not unconsciously being closed off for you. And you want to stand up tall like your mama taught you. You want to stand tall. If you don't convey confidence in your content, your audience isn't going to pick it up, right? Yes, you can overdo it, all right? So you don't want to be, you know, super aggressive. That will make your audience uncomfortable. But hang on to this idea. We're going to come back to this actually in a minute. You want to make your gestures deliberate. So you know who you are if you talk with your hands. And you don't want to kind of be all over the place because that's distracting, right? But if you never move your hands, then you're, you're at risk of being kind of closed off. So when you're practicing giving your presentations, think about when is the right time to kind of point to something on the board, to gesture to your audience. And the more you practice that, the more comfortable it will feel. But what do I do with my hands, Middleton? I just, if I'm somebody who does this or if I feel weird and my tendency is to do this, what can I do with them? Well, we're going to talk about this more toward the end, but put a presentation remote in one of them. That gives you something to do with one hand. You can do one hand on one hip. That helps some folks feel more comfortable and confident, and it's not too Wonder Woman, so one hand. If there's a podium, you can put one hand on the podium and stand to the side. Some folks, I can feel a little anchoring, a little bit more comfortable to have there. You all have seen presenters who have done this. 
um, 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 uh, lots of these little, these are called injections, these verbalized pauses. They usually happen when you're stuck or you're trying to think of something. If you do this, work to eliminate them because it's really distracting. You've, you've seen folks who have been really distracting by doing that before. When you pause, you want it to be, again, with intention and purpose. After you make a really important point, when you're changing from one section of your presentation to another, if you're asking a question, the golden rule when you're going to ask a question to a live audience is to give them seven seconds to respond before you jump in. After seven seconds, the chances are nobody's going to, and then you're just going to be waiting forever to get uncomfortable. But you want to give seven seconds for folks to think and then respond. Try not to go too fast or too slowly. So you want to have this balance with your speech tempo between energy and understanding. Most presenters, when they're nervous, go too fast. So when in doubt, think to yourself about slowing down. So we're going to take a minute now and do a little self-assessment. So if you'll take your handout and turn to page two, and you're not going to share this with anybody, so you can feel free to be honest, but just look through those questions and don't think about it too hard, but what do you think about your body language, your eye contact? Think back to prior presentations you've given. Where would you put yourself at? Okay, everybody through there? So all the points that we just talked about have kind of been summarized on page one and at the top of page two. And what I'd like you to do now is turn over to page three and be ready because we're going to talk through some of the points on page three. But you're going to keep in mind what you did on page two for our final activity this morning, okay? So let's talk about mental presence. So there are two types of speakers, those who are nervous and those who are liars. Anybody want to guess who might have said that? Mark Twain, believe it or not, said that. So I like to bring this up because, again, some folks think that this being in front of an audience is just a naturally comfortable thing for folks. And certainly, if you spend a lot of time in front of audiences, you learn how to get comfortable in front of an audience. But it's really not innate to anyone. And everyone, including experienced stage performers, still gets nervous when they get in front of an audience at first. So everybody starts here, and I usually don't have to define what red zone means. All right, everybody starts. You all know what it is to have that horrible mm, anxiety. There's a crowd, all right? Everybody starts here. All your favorite movie actors, folks who have done a gajillion plays on Broadway, they all start here. What's the difference between them and someone who stays stuck here is they know how to move into that comfort zone. They know how to work out of red zone and say, all right, now I'm comfortable. And for folks who spend a lot of time in front of an audience, this happens almost automatically sometimes. But if you're not somebody who's spent a lot of time before and you need to learn how to get comfortable with that, figuring out what it is for you that helps you to get here is really important because it's very individual. I'm going to give you some ideas of things that can help. But at the end of the day, figuring out what that process is, some of it comes down to knowing yourself and what it is that makes you have a tough time. 
So let's work through a couple things. Let's see if we can figure out how to get from red zone to comfort zone. So in the middle of page three, where it says number one, identify and isolate your fears, let's name what it is that makes you so terrified. What is it that you're afraid of when you're in the red zone in front of an audience? You're not gonna share this with anybody, but there's power in writing these things down. You take power over them by doing that. So what is it that you're afraid of? Okay. Apologies undermine your audience's confidence in you. There are some things occasionally that are worth apologizing for. I apologize for being late because of whatever. So last time I came to you from a meeting and we started a few minutes late. Apologize, get that out of the way and move on. Don't dwell on it. But whatever you do, please don't apologize for being nervous, ever. Because what just happened when you apologize for being nervous is instead of your audience paying attention to you and your content, now they're going to be paying attention to how nervous you are. Okay? So don't, don't, don't. Chances are, even though you're feeling red zone, your audience is not realizing it. Okay? So under number two, is there anything that you're an apologizer for, for during presentation? So circle anything there that feels like you're an apologizer for. Is there anything that you've apologized for? You all know what I'm going to say about, I've, you've heard this a million times too, I'm sorry this slide is really busy. Don't make the slide busy. That's how you fix that one, okay? Don't make busy slides. We taught you how to do that last time. Number three, practice, 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 practice. I'm going to guess that most of the presentations you've given in your career, like most of the folks who you've watched give presentations, you didn't spend a whole lot of time talking through all of it before you got in front of your audience. That's pretty normal, that's typical. So I wanna normalize that. But this, for most folks, is a very powerful way to move out of red zone into comfort zone. Because if you know your material cold, forwards and backwards, that can reduce a lot of stress in terms of wondering about what I'm gonna say next, am I gonna remember to do this, and et cetera. So think about the last presentation you gave. How many times did you practice it before you gave it? So circle on page three. And if you did practice, who did you practice in front of? I will tell you one of my secrets, which is when I have a new presentation to give, I still practice it in front of a row of stuffed animals. There, my secret is out. Why? Because their eyeballs, they're smiling, gives me the chance to work on making some eye contact. So whatever it is, if you have a kind colleague, your dog, whatever, practice, practice. If you wanna work on some of that body language, practicing in front of a mirror or a friendly colleague who can give you feedback on your body language can be really important too. All right, so we're gonna keep Keep in mind what you answered on page three for our final activity too, but let's talk about power poses. 
So maintaining a power pose for two minutes prior to your presentation will increase your confidence and your audience's perception of your confidence. So if you've not seen Dr. Amy Cuddy's TED Talk, the link is there on page four. I highly recommend it is well worth the 20 minutes of your time as she goes through the science about why this is true. But here are the five power poses and they are in your handout as well. But it turns out that the way we hold our bodies influences a lot of our neurohormonal signals in terms of how we feel. So if you do a power pose, your cortisol actually goes down, your testosterone actually goes up. So more confident, less stressed. It's kind of cool. Okay. So we're going to try it. All right? So pick a power pose. You got five to choose from on the handout. Pick a power pose. Everybody choose one. Everybody choose one. All right. All right. Get into. All right. If you're gonna do the one with the with the feet out, you have to push away from your desk so you're not hiding behind the desk. So everybody got their power pose. All right. So come on, pull your chairs. All right. There we go. Yep. That'll work. That'll work. Yeah. You can't be behind the desk. It won't work. It won't work. So you got to be angled away from the desk. Yep. Everybody watching at home. You too. Get out from your desk. All right, has everybody got a power pose? Nobody's going to do Wonder Woman. Oh, come on. Wonder Woman is the best one. <laughs> Wonder Woman is the best one, I'm telling you. You know what's great about Wonder Woman is that you can do it in the bathroom before you're going to give your presentation, and nobody knows. You just go in there. When I have a big, you know, regional or national presentation to give, that's what I do. I find the nearest bathroom to my room, you know, 10 minutes before I have to go in, and I just stand in the stall, and I set a little timer on my watch, and I do Wonder Woman. Fabulous. All right, everybody ready? All right, there we go. Okay, two minutes now. Power pose. Power pose. This beautiful power pose. Look at that. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. I'm going to do Wonder Woman. That's my favorite. I know I'm a few minutes, a few seconds late here. Eh. But it's important. The power poses, what do you observe about them as we're sitting in them? Are they open or closed body language? So they're open body language. And what I like about all of them, except for the last one with the lady leaning over the desk, is they kind of encourage this idea again of kind of keeping your shoulders back a little bit so you're not hunching. Though the lady over the desk is, I don't know, it's pretty badass. I like that one too. Yeah. All right, stay with me, stay with me. Keep in that power pose. One minute to go. Two minutes is a long time sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. Stay in that power pose. All right. Coming into the home stretch here in our power pose. Right now our cortisol is going down. Feeling good. Something nice about just pausing and breathing too, which I think even then, even just the pose, I think there's something nice about that intentional pause that is good. All right, we're in the home stretch. We're in the home stretch. All right, power posers, here we come. And you're about to discover uh, where this GIF was made. I still need to find somebody who can translate this for me at the end here. 
Yay! I like to think that it says the end. I don't know. All right. How do you feel? Any difference from two minutes ago? Maybe a little bit? Maybe? Yeah. A little bit more relaxed. Maybe a little bit more confident. Let's talk about finishing touches here, and then I want you to have some time to ask questions and to work on your action plan. Presentation remotes. Back in the day, not everybody had one of these, actually. When I was a fellow 10 years ago, if you didn't bring yours with you, you probably weren't going to have one. Now, almost everywhere that you go, somebody, you know, they'll have one set up for you. My personal bias is I still like to bring my own. Why? Because it reduces one less thing that I have to worry about. Because I know everything about how my remote works. I know exactly where it is. I don't have to think hard about where the buttons are. So they are not expensive, 20 or 30 bucks on Amazon. I really encourage you, if giving presentations is gonna be an important part of your career, make the investment, have your own, be comfortable with it. The nice thing about presentation remotes is that they kind of present, you've all seen this before, where somebody walks over and hits the thing on the slide and then they come back and then they gotta walk over and advance the slide. Or worse, next slide please next slide please and somebody sitting there advancing the slides for them so what happens to your audience's focus and attention every time you walk over to hit a button or ask somebody to advance the slide right so take that away um, the leading thought now is that the green is probably a little bit more visible in terms of a laser pointer than a red, especially with a lot of the new projection technology and or if you're using a smart screen to project off of, the green probably pops out a little bit more. So if you're looking to make a purchase for yourself, green is kind of the way to go these days. So you want to be thoughtful and deliberate about your clothing when you're standing in front of an audience also. Not that you have to, you know, go out and buy a three-piece suit, but your clothing sends a message. Remember that first 30 seconds where your audience makes their minds up about you? Some of what's happening there subconsciously is based on how your appearance is. And yes, that appearance is closed or open body language and maybe the way you speak when you first come in. But some of it is this, too. So be true to yourself, but be intentional. All right, what not to wear? Right, what do all of these things have in common here? Busy. They're busy, right? This is super distracting. I had to re-up for boards last year, and I did one of the home video courses through uh, AAFP, the American Academy of Family Physicians, and one of the speakers who was wonderful on those videos, I did a possible time paying attention to her through some of the videos because she was wearing this horrible chevron sweater, and I could not stop staring at all these little zigzaggies on her sweater everywhere when I was supposed to be paying attention to what she was talking about. So don't distract your audience. What do you think is wrong with this? That's not busy. So it can be, oh yes, absolutely, guys and gals, especially if you're going to be under a bright light. So that's one. There's one other thing. Well, oh yeah, don't be wrinkled. I agree with that. So, yeah, you don't want to wash yourself out either. So you don't want to do... Um, you know, colors that are either too close to your skin tone or just flat. So white is really flat on anybody. It doesn't matter what your skin tone is. Um, it just tends to oh, make you look a little sallow. These kind of colors help you to bring a little bit more life 
especially if you're going to be in front of a video camera. So muted solid colors are usually the way to go, especially if you're going to be on video, especially, especially, because video, depending on the screen somebody's watching you on, can you imagine what might happen to some of those crazy busy patterns if somebody doesn't have a great resolution on their screen or if they're trying to watch you on an iPhone? So solid muted colors. Don't go super crazy on the ties, guys. Ladies, if you're going to accessorize, be careful and thoughtful about it. All right, don't go nuts. Last but not least, you want to take charge of the space that you're presenting in. So the way the room is set up when you walk in is not, unless the things are bolted to the floor, is not the way you have to leave it. So if you know that you're going to be having your audience do some work in small groups, maybe push the tables together so that they are in already in small groups when they sit down. Or maybe you don't want them to have a table at all and you push the tables out of the way and you just have chairs. Or you want a circle because it's going to be super interactive. So how should your room layout support your message? Think back to the Kemp model. When you think about your instructional strategies, your room layout is part of that, is part of that strategy. Okay. You want to make really deliberate decisions in your room about where you're going to stand. If you have a video camera in front of you, you probably have rules about where you can go and how far you can walk or stand. How is your audience going to sit? Where are you going to put your laptop? So again, you don't want to be doing slide karaoke. So we talked about last time where you have to keep swinging back to see your screen. So ideally, if you need a prompt or a cue, you have a screen someplace discreetly in front of you or off to the side that you can see. Where are you going to put handouts? Because somebody's going to be late. So whoever that late person is, how are they going to get handouts? Don't, don't leave it up to chance, all right? No rock, paper, scissors. Don't leave it up to chance. You decide intentionally what works for what you want to do. So on the final page of your handout, so we've got some summaries of that on page five. What I'd like you to do is think back for a minute through what you wrote on our earlier activities, the things that you circled, the things that you wrote out on page two and on page three. And just reflect for a minute. What do you do well already? Because all of you do a lot of things well already when you present. I bet you do a lot to prepare. I bet you do a lot to make sure that you're experts in the content you're going to give. So give yourself credit for the things you do well. And think about how are you going to keep doing them well to be intentional and deliberate. And then for three and four, what things based on this session and the last session that we did together um, do you want to work on? What things do you think, gosh, I never thought about that much before. I want to really be intentional, deliberate about changing this. And then how are you going to do it? So I'm going to give you a minute or two to do that. And then almost invariably, folks have lots of questions about this. So I want us to take a few minutes and have a chance to ask some questions before we finish up. But remember, it's really powerful to write down. So those of you watching on the video... Writing these things down is much more powerful than just kind of thinking in your head. Something magic happens when you write it down. So write it down. Ask me questions. What do you think about using? So like I'm kind of torn sometimes when I'm presenting because I'm not like a mobile person mm -hmm. so I tend to stand behind the podium but I understand you say you know that puts something between you and the audience but sure. then also to help calm myself mm -hmm. in the past I've used like presenters mode 
So I have my notes, and it um, gives like one or two prompts yep. because then otherwise I'll have like little flashcards and then I just it's a mess. So. Presenters mode is wonderful. Um, big fan of presenters mode. When I'm giving any presentation for the very first time, um, I almost always will use presenters mode. I think the newest version of um, PowerPoint for PC has that built in, but for a long time that was a Mac only feature. Um, so I still, if I'm going someplace typically to travel anyway, I will bring my Mac laptop so I can use presenter tools. Because you're right, having those little cues, especially if it's new material, or if I'm giving a presentation with other individuals and we need prompts, whose turn is it, who does this, instead of making it be all awkward and, oh yeah, this is my slide, again, distracting. Um, you know, we can have those prompts built in there. I'm a big fan of presenter tools. Um, big, big, big fan. And you can use it to put things in there too besides just um, your content. When I'm given a really big presentation, sometimes the first couple slides will be, don't forget to breathe, Middleton. And the next slide will say, don't go too fast. And the next slide will say, breathe. And the next slide will say, slow. So that I kind of just reinforce to myself because I know when I get super nervous, I go way, way, way too fast. Um, so that kind of helps me to center also. But yeah, I'm a big presenter tool fan, big, big, big. So wonder, and it's and it's a little classy. I mean, if you're gonna do flashcards because you don't have it, do it. You know, if that's gonna help you get to comfort zone and get out of red, absolutely a discreet flashcard, not the end of the world. But boy, presenters tool is just kind of classier, isn't it? It's kind of cool. And then it's just between you and you that you're using those little prompts because nobody else knows. Then how do you balance that like open body language using presenters? So you have to set your screen up at a angle that you can see it so that you don't have to be behind a podium. So where I was last week, they had the screen set up on the podium. Um, and what I, after asking permission nicely to the very friendly AV gentleman who was there to assist me, I moved, I pushed the podium off to the side and sort of to the front. And then I pulled the screen that was on top there to the edge and angled it. So it wasn't right in front of me, unfortunately. So I was kind of standing here, but it was kind of maybe where the door is there. So I could, I knew the material pretty well. It was something I had presented on before. Um, but I was able, just out of the corner of my eye, to see what slide I was on and where I was so that I didn't have to keep doing this. So a room like this that's small and you have a small group, I don't necessarily feel like I need to have that because I can kind of see what's going on anyway when I re-angle to connect with each, you know, kind of third of the audience. Um, but for a bigger presentation, think about that. And I, I have a sign being held up for you behind the camera saying to make sure to stay in the light. Oh, is that for me? Yes. Then I will stay in the light. Stay in the light if you're being videotaped. And there's a large, beautiful light for you shining. Cool. So that's my problem. I, I like to move around. And when I have a small audience, I like to come in to the audience. This group that I presented for last week, which is what always happens, everybody sat in the back of this huge room. So I, when they, we were talking over some of the problems that they were working on, I literally came all the way halfway up and sat down in front of them. Because it's really hard to have a conversation with folks when you're far away from them, right? But then there's light and there's video, so I'll be good and stand over here. But great question, what else? 
along her lines, um, my biggest difficult. I just gave my grand rounds, and my biggest congratulations. Thank you. Uh, was it was one of the first talks that I've actually written out the entire mm-hmm. talk. Awesome. You know, morning reports and things like that. You kind of do it off the off the cuff. Oh, sure. And so my biggest struggle was wanting to say the things that I had written down, but also wanting to keep it conversational mm-hmm. and not just be reading off the the slide. And I, I found that to be tricky. Fortunately, the the room was set up that the the screen was, so I could be kind of off to the side and look at it. Fabulous. But that's just that's just more of a kind of comment of transitioning from mm-hmm. trainee type talks to more professional talks and just finding my, my difficulty with that and wondering if there were additional tricks or tips to do. No, that's a really important tension to think about because you do want to prepare and you want to know your material really well, but you don't want to be so rigid that you're just kind of reading off off a script and that you're not able to engage and or if your audience has questions. Um, or you recognize you've kind of lost your audience, you want to bring them back, you've got to be able to deviate off the script to bring them back a little bit. Um, some of that is just practice, honestly. Practice, practice, practice. Um, and practicing what you've written down, but also practicing in front of other people or stuffed animals and have those folks throw things at you. You know, can I ask a question here? Can I, whatever, um, you know, have them kind of be sort of plants and then you get the chance it's a skill set to learn how to respond to those kind of questions and then how do you okay where was I in my script all right and then be able to kind of jump back in a little bit so it, it kind of just comes with time and practice a little bit but um, but I bet it felt pretty comfortable because you knew your content cold yeah it's just it, you always look back you always look back and think, man, I could have practiced that a couple more times and really, really gotten it. But Well, and boy, isn't that true? As busy as we all are, sometimes finding the time to do that. I mean, you're going to give an hour-long presentation. Even if your audience is going to be doing a lot during that, that still takes a lot of time to practice talking through that. Even if you do it once or twice, it takes a lot of time. And let's face it, I don't know how many of you are, you know, in your future careers or those who are already faculty giving a lot of presentations, sometimes that time is just not there. And you, and then you just need to be able to rely on your experience, what you've done before, just to try to make it happen. But yeah, practice, practice. But that's a great first step. Other questions? All right, so you have an action plan. So you wrote it down. So that's the first step to taking control. Now you got to think about how you're going to put it to use. So whatever it is that you do in terms of your planning or to-do lists, can you put a couple of those things from number two and number four in your list somewhere in your to-do planner, app, calendar, um, however it is that you like to do that for the next presentation. And it's really important, I think, too, what I appreciate about what you said is after you give a presentation, reflect on how you did um, and what you liked and what you didn't like. You can ask your audience for feedback and you can ask your friends and colleagues for feedback. A lot of times, let's face it, they're just going to tell you, good job, um, which is cool. But if there's somebody who you know who can kind of give it to you straight and give you some good, this was really, this worked and this didn't, somebody who knows all this stuff, that's very powerful. Well, I had a lot of fun sharing all this stuff with you guys this morning, so thank you very much. Have a great rest of your day. And as always, if questions or issues come up as you're preparing any materials, if I can be of use, shoot me an email or give me a call. All right, thanks, guys.
Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll rate and review this podcast and share it with your colleagues and your friends. So you don't miss any of our new content. Make sure you are subscribing to PCIC Podcasts. PCIC is sponsored by PalMed, where our aim is to advance palliative care globally and ensure all clinicians have the latest knowledge and skill. To access more PCIC content, please visit palmed.us to review our extensive open access PCIC curriculum.